0: Infomercials, magazine ads, and boutique clinics are promising a miracle of rejuvenation for the aging male. But could this so-called fountain of youth come with deadly consequences? Welcome to The Curbsiders, a podcast where we deconstruct topics in internal medicine and primary care for your listening pleasure. So turn down the lights, find that special someone, and get comfortable. Matt, is Matt
1: that Matt, is that the dude. script? <laughs> dude.
0: Uh, Sorry, don't I say just, that. I was just trying to make things a little, you know, sensual. Just you know, loosen things up a little bit.
2: What are you going to invite them over for dinner? <laughs> Take them well, on a date. We should a uh, podcast. Let's go out for dinner.
1: Why don't we uh, introduce ourselves to start? Yeah,
0: that's a that's a good idea. <clears throat> I am Dr. Matthew Watto here with my co-hosts, Dr. Tony Sideri and Dr. Stuart Brigham. Hello, guys.
1: Hi, Matt.
2: Hey, Matt. How you doing, buddy? Tony, what, what what exactly is a curbsider exactly?
1: So, when we went to create the name for the curbsiders, we actually thought that we were being really creative and came up with a cool name. Um, but it turns out that uh, curbsiders, unfortunately, was already kind of taken by these guys in Canada that sell, uh, you know, sketchy, tampered with vehicles. So although that's the old prevalent definition of the term before the creation of the show. Um, it, we're we're, we're, we're going to take it over. And, yeah, yeah uh, well, and that, and I don't that's think kind of us.
2: That's kind of us. We're uh, three board-certified physicians that uh, we're going to sell you some tampered with uh, information from other uh, uh, experts <laughs> in the field. So I guess we you could call us maybe some sketchy physicians as well. But hopefully the information that we give you is useful and maybe a little bit entertaining.
0: So getting to the point... The Curbsiders is a podcast for physicians that uses expert interviews or curbsides to deconstruct topics in internal medicine and primary care. The idea is to provide you with clinical pearls that you can actually use in your practice without putting you to sleep with a monotone voice during a lecture.
1: And if you want to look us up on the web, you can find us at HTTPS colon forward slash, slash www.thecurbsiders.com.
0: Or since this is a uh, 2016, you could just type in thecurbsiders.com and and you'll find our website. So on this episode, we'll be discussing the controversial topic of testosterone replacement therapy. This show features Dr. Jeffrey Colburn. Dr. Colburn is dual boarded in endocrinology and internal medicine. He's at, he's currently working in the San Antonio area at a large academic institution where he wins yearly awards as a favorite educator. He is also consistently voted a top consultant in his hospital, and we are thrilled to have him on the show today.
3: Hey, appreciate the invite. Thanks.
0: So Jeff, we have lots of questions for you today about this pretty highly contested topic. So let's start off by just asking you, please, to define some terms. So low T, what what exactly does this mean? Is this appropriate to use this?
3: Um, so I guess when I start talking about testosterone, you know, you'd already mentioned that it's a kind of a controversial topic in some ways. And at the start of this uh, speaking and, and our conversation, I think I want to mention that I have no financial interests or um, uh, other interests outside of just trying to give good education. Um, and I think it's important to say that because there is a lot of advertising and interest in trying to get people to uh, prescribe and make money off of this. And um so the industry has really driven, I think, an explosion in the amount of testosterone that is applied to patients. Um, so this idea of low T or that um, uh, concept that you mentioned to me, it, it uh, it's not, I guess, the fullest way to explain the topic, but uh, low testosterone is what they're talking about. And it's certainly when we're thinking about hypogonadism, testosterone is one thing that we look at for individuals. Um, and there are a, a couple of other factors that we need to consider. So uh, men uh, that are having hypogonadism, we want to think about, uh, is this a a congenital problem that they were born with, and maybe now we're just picking up later on in their adult life? Um, Or is this uh, an acquired issue of some damage to the tissues that are controlling testosterone production? And uh, so, uh, yes, testosterone is one factor in that. Um, When we start thinking about the classification of uh, hypogonadism, low testosterone states, um, and mentioned to you that breakdown of congenital versus acquired. um, And they're basically, when you think about the physiology of how testosterone is produced, you have a hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis that needs to be in communication, uh, where you have FSH and LH, the gonadotrophins, coming down through the bloodstream and uh, indicating to the testes to produce testosterone at a, uh, a good level or something that we measure as a good level. And so that gets to that question of the the testosterone or the low T. Um, uh, But 80-year-olds, about 80% of them have hypogonadism or low testosterone. Um, And so it's just kind of a fact of life. One of the areas of controversy or question is, you know, is this normative aging or is it a disease state? Should we treat it? And the Endocrine Society guidelines would say they recommend against an all-comers treat approach, uh, maybe an individualized strategy where you talk to your patient about, uh, some of the risks and benefits that we'll speak about later today, um, and uh, apply it where you think it's probably best suited for the patient.
0: Are there any other lab values that we should be checking as- along with the early morning testosterone, and how do you go about doing that? Do you do you order them all at the same time, or do you start with one and then kind of add others depending on the results?
3: Um, So, you know, when I think about screening a patient, you want to think about uh, presence of symptoms and why they present oftentimes is going to be decreased sexual function. Um, And so that's certainly part of hypogonadism, low testosterone states. Um, Low libido is probably the best indicator of low testosterone, whereas other
2: things like erectile function are probably neurovascular. Right. What about uh, those patients of ours that, that come and say, hey, I've got erectile dysfunction And what do you think about checking testosterone in those patients?
3: You could consider it. Yeah, the guidelines would say that's something that could be uh, associated with low testosterone. But uh, I would tell you in general, in my experience, applying testosterone therapies to those patients, unless their testosterone is frankly low, just for erections, you're not going to see a difference. Even if their testosterone is low and they're having... inadequate erections giving testosterone oftentimes doesn't fix that problem it's often neurovascular look for their smoking history their cardiovascular risks and uh, a 5 pde inhibitor like uh, your viagra cialis levitra any of those that's
0: going to be the effective way to treat that Um, and one other common symptom that i get people asking me about is fatigue and saying i feel fatigued i think i have low testosterone
3: yeah, fatigue is indicated in the guidelines as a possible symptom, uh, along with depressed mood, feeling tired, uh, weight gain. We all know that those things could be part of uh, our our loss of uh, good activity in society. You know, we're seeing an obesity ep- epidemic in the United States. And all of these things kind of snowball, and it's tough to know who's the chicken or the egg. You know, did all of these disease states impact the hypogonadal pituitary gonadal axis and therefore suppress all of that? Or were they having an issue with that and therefore developing all of these these findings? It's tough to know. Um, but I think if, some, if a man's coming to you and going down this list of things that we've just talked about, I would consider checking and testing that patient. So to get back to your question about uh, labs, there are a few things I would do up front. I think up front, the first thing you could do would be to just do an early morning uh, testosterone, total testosterone uh, by itself to screen for that condition. And you need to repeat that. So you have to do another early morning. I, I like it fasting. Um, but when I say early morning, we're really talking about somewhere between 7 and 10 a.m., After that, you're really getting outside of where that person's normal peak of testosterone is going to be. A normal testosterone for a a healthy male is going to be between 400 to uh, possibly up to 900 uh, nanograms per mil. And um, uh, that being said, hypogonadism is diagnosed by the guidelines below 300. Um, So if you've got that less than 300 on your check uh, based and you've got those symptoms from the patient, uh, you can go ahead and retest. And uh, at the retest is when I'm going to order a few other things. Um, I would look at their gonadotrophins, their FSH and LH. Also, I would check a prolactin. Um, I very often get patients to my clinic that have had no investigation as to what the etiology of their hypogonadism is, and that's a very rampant problem I'm running into. I see they get a one-time afternoon lab draw. They're diagnosed at low inappropriately. it's the wrong time. It's only one lab. I see that a lot. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they're started on therapy needlessly and right. um the uh my job and i think all of our duty would be to to look first before we start any therapy and the easy things to look for are, is this primary or secondary primary meaning that the testes themselves had an injury um either uh, trauma radiation uh, certain alkylating agents the chemotherapies can damage the testes elated the cells and so you want to look at those factors and potentially take a history of testicular trauma. Um, The uh, secondary hypogonadism will get picked up uh, by gonadotrophins that are very high. In essence, if you think about it this way, the pituitary is measuring in conjunction with the hypothalamus, measuring everything that's happening with the gonadotrophins as far as their production ability. When they notice something's low, they're going to yell down to the testes, give me more. So those levels are going to be very high, the FSH and LH. And so that defines your secondary hypogonadism. Something's happening up in the brain, and it directs you to start looking there. So the other lab I like up front is a prolactin because masses in the pituitary uh, could be secreting that, um, or they could interrupt the normal dopamine break on prolactin, and you can get high prolactins. And so a prolactin could be really instructive to say something up there is wrong.
2: So you mentioned that testicular trauma also causes... Uh, a form of primary hypogonadism, so uh, somewhat unrelated. What about uh, after vasectomy?
3: Um shouldn't be associated with testicular hypofunction from the testosterone standpoint. Um, obviously, they can't uh, get the, their sperm out through the ducting and plumbing. Um, but uh, hypogonadism, just to put a point on that too, is defined as an inability to make appropriate testosterone or sperm. Right,
2: so the reason why I ask there's a few patients that have come to me and actually asked me that specific question now granted uh it's appropriate or important to hear that from you instead of coming from me
3: and and you could do an examination you know I recommend the things that would be key to look at for them um, would be breast tissue, you know, gynecomastia could be a really... Uh, it's tough to tell sometimes if that's just fat or ga- glandular tissue. Right. Sometimes if you just pinch the abdomen, most of us have a little bit of fat there. Um, if you pinch that and pinch the breast tissue, it feels about the same. You're probably pinching fat, not glandular or gynecomastia. So that's a little kind of tip I use. Um, but I just pinch myself. <laughs> but if you've, if you've got gynecomastia going on, it may be a good sign that the patient has hypogonadism, And um, other things you could look at would be their hair pattern. Uh, In general, hypogonadal man uh, would lose their facial hair, uh, axillary hair, maybe slower in growing in, or or look sparse. Um, And then a testy exam. So, you know, if they've had surgery, uh, certain if if they got an infection after that surgery, that could lead to poor function. But, um, you know, one of the questions I think we were discussing today was do I need an orchiometer? And um, an orchiometer or prater beads or something I have in my clinic... Um, I don't recommend you have to have a set of those. Um, I only have two. <laughs> <laughs> you, I wear them around my neck. <laughs> they, they're pretty fancy. You know, it's actually what my uh, first day on the job, my boss gave me these, and it's kind of like a rite to passage to becoming an endocrinologist. You get this set of testicular beads on a string. Um, but you know, you don't need these. I think more importantly on the exam, feel for the consistency of the testes. Um, uh, the size certainly could be important if uh, normal would be 20 to 30 CCs. If you acquaint yourself with that size, you don't need to carry these beads around. Um, but the consistency, you know, once you start doing exams, you're going to see a lot of normals, softer, mushy testes, um, may have been damaged, um, or or may indicate to you a problem much more than just the size would. Okay.
2: One thing I didn't hear you mention was uh, one thing that I would routinely order on my patients is a free testosterone and sex hormone binding globulin what's your statement what's your opinion about that
3: yeah you don't need it up front but in that second panel i was mentioning right. i would right. order that that's a good uh, point to bring up um so when we talk about uh patients that we suspect have this condition you know we talked about signs and symptoms we did some physical exam features there um there are a lot of men that have obesity and it, and we talked about this epidemic that will create an artifact in the labs that is actually not hypogonadism. Right. And what I'm talking about is their obesity can drive down their sex hormone-binding globulin. So I need to take a step back and explain this a bit. Testosterone, it's produced by the testes and the Leydig cells after response from the pituitary uh, that gives signaling to produce that. Um, testosterone needs to be carried by something or protected in the serum. If it's out there free, it's degraded very rapidly. So it's carried by sex hormone binding globulin, or SHBG for short. SHBG is made by the liver, and 60% of your circulating testosterone is stuck on there. Um, in obese men, or men with diabetes, uh, the SHBG production will drop. Um, so you'll have very low levels of that protein. And so when you check a total testosterone, 60% of that is measuring that Part of the testosterone whereas the other 40 percent is albumin bound and there's a one percent around that's free that is actually able to interact with the receptors and cause the testosterone effect on men which is virilization lean muscle mass um male secondary sexual characteristics and so on if the if you have an obese man they can have a a very low measure to total testosterone when in fact they're free bioavailable so that which is on the albumin that 40 percent on the albumin or the free component that's 1%, maybe fine, maybe normal. Their testes are dumping out good amounts of testosterone in the day, but you measure them low because of their obesity. I don't know if that kind of makes sense. I had to give you a little bit of that to have you think about that. But so, yes, I order a total testosterone on that second look uh, when they're coming back to me. And also, you can look at an, a sex hormone binding globulin, you can also order a bioavailable. Um you've mentioned a free. I actually think I would just order the bioavailable. Before we used to have to calculate it, it's a pretty cheap lab now. You okay. can just do bioavailable. If that's normal, I would recommend against treating that person. Even with a total that's low.
0: Okay. So so we've made our diagnosis of low testosterone and what are you gonna do next? What are you gonna treat them with? What dose? What route, et cetera? So you know,
3: when uh these formulations were first coming out. Back in the 70s, we had testosterone pills. You may think, well, women take estrogen all the time in a pill form. Why isn't there a testosterone pill? Um, well, you can probably get some from the Internet, uh, from Canada or wherever, Mexico wherever. Who knows? And um, it'll bomb your liver. So they noticed that uh, liver cancers, liver toxicity was the big side effect um, because it goes, absorbs the GI tract. It's going to have first-pass metabolism in the liver. It wreaks havoc. We don't have that now. So what we have, probably the best, first thing I grab is going to be topicals. They have gels, which are come out of these uh, metered applicators, kind of like uh, hand soap would, um, that you pump out and apply to different parts. Uh, each manufacturer has a different part of the body. It's usually the legs, the chest, or the arms. Um, and uh, those that's my first go-to because of ease. And also, it's going to very well mimic our normal early morning high testosterone. And afternoon, it'll come down. And the normal starting dose, uh, most of these uh, metered, each pump is about 10 milligrams of testosterone. I usually start uh, individuals at four pumps or 40 milligrams um, and then recheck them. Uh, Usually you wait about a month. Um, You could check it as soon as two weeks, but you're trying to achieve a serum total testosterone between um, four and 700 by the guidelines. Um, Some things that you need to be aware of when you start therapy, you need to be checking... Uh, for contraindications, first of all, up front, so men with breast cancer or or prostate cancer cannot start these products. Um, men with uh, a starting erythrocytosis, so a hematocrit above fifty percent should not start these products. Uh, men with unexplained lower urinary tract uh, symptoms of hesitancy or so should not start their prostates can get large. Um, and so those are some areas or untreated sleep apnea is another one. And I guess I haven't got on my soapbox a little bit yet, but, um, if you'll, uh, give me just a moment, uh, we talked about obesity and the sex hormone binding globulin issue. I, that's a real thing. I would check for it. I see it all the time in my larger men. Um, and if you can treat their lifestyle, if you can reduce alcohol, get them to stop smoking, get them exercising and losing weight, their testosterone will normalize, um, that being said, you know, testosterone has some effects to decrease risk of diabetes to lean out muscle mass. So you may think, well, that's great. Let me apply this therapy, and they'll lean out. Uh, you know, you'll see, indiv- you'll see doctors that will take this approach and say, yeah, I'm going to lean you out. Let's- you need testosterone. Let's do that. Um, I also see doctors that will say, well, no, you're overweight. This is your fault, quote, unquote. You know, just lose weight, and it'll get normalized. I'm probably a more of a middle-of-the-road guy. So if I have this overweight guy, that's my most common guy, overweight aging guy, um, and he's, I think, you know, if you're measuring him low and you get some signs and symptoms and you don't see a, you know, pituitary mass um, or something that you need to get working on that issue, but, you know, you've got this guy who you can't really figure out what the the cause of his hypogonadism is, you could consider starting therapy and, Use it as a trial almost. give them an incentive. say you know get get to the gym. This is going to really pep you up, get you that energy, get you off the couch. But you know it has to be backed up with some activity. You can't just apply a medicine and voila, I'm better. you know it's not magic. The other thing I'll mention is with with obese patients or diabetes patients, sleep apnea is a huge thing. And if you're not looking for that, you're missing a gigantic diagnosis. Obstructive sleep apnea, or OSA, is rampant. Right. Um, it can be caused by excess neck tissue, but I've seen it in thin individuals. And it, is, uh, it can cause erythrocytosis itself, high hematocrits, high red blood cell counts due to the hypoxia that they get at night from their apneic spells. And uh, these individuals are at high risk when you start testosterone to have their red blood cell counts go through the roof. And that's the person I worry about getting their stroke or their DVT or their heart attack. Um, so you need to be looking. I think a sleep study is warranted for any obese guy with hypogonadism, I think, get a sleep study.
0: Is it an absolute contraindication to treat someone with sleep apnea with testosterone replacement
3: it's not it's relative um but i would you i would want it treated before you think about uh i've had many men come in i get them to their sleep study they start a device like a continuous positive air pressure cpap and uh their
0: testosterone normalizes and boom done so So once we get these patients on the therapy, you mentioned that we're looking for a testosterone level between 400 and 700. Are you also targeting clinical symptoms? Because I've had patients whose level has not necessarily normalized, but they tell me they feel great, which may be placebo, but how do you treat that?
3: Oh, you, you know, the guidelines really want normalization. The first goal is normalization of the biochemistry. The second would be recovery of signs and symptoms. So, you know, I think it's it's fair. It's included in the treatment goals. It's part of the puzzle. Um, you know, individuals, it's really tough, actually, to say where the symptoms start. In general, less than 200. You're going to have some objective findings of the, the low testosterone, like bone loss. Um, and those things will improve back to normal within about two years of starting therapy. So I, I do treat for signs and symptoms, but uh, if they are, if you can't measure low testosterone, then there's something else you need to look for. You know, they may have depression, they may have um, something else causing the signs and symptoms because they're a little bit vague and they can really cross into other disease states. So um, yes, you need to have the numbers and and the findings.
0: And which clinical outcomes have the best evidence when you're using testosterone therapy when you're counseling patients what can you tell them has been proven to get better in these randomized controlled trials um depends on the patients you know
3: I, in general it's libido and mood uh, a lot of times the guys that come in their their wife comes in and they're the ones mostly complaining and they're maybe the bashful guy or so um, you know, I think the big thing that people are hoping is going to get better so, is erections. So, so just to clarify, so the wife is the one who's, who's complaining most of the time? yeah, yeah. So as, a, as a, that's a, that's a very common thing I see is the, the accompanied by their wife or their spouse who kind of drags them in and it's like, you know, things in bed are not so hot. And, um, that's the person that's really pointing to it. Whereas these, these men, they just kind of, you know, it's part of the process is they, they have low energy, they have low fatigue. They're not motivated to come to your clinic, um, But, uh, yeah, the wives are, um, and they want to see some of these things happen. Um, One of the things I'll also mention to you, you want to think about the age of your patient. You know, for me, a 20- to 40-year-old patient is very different than your 40-year-old plus. Your 20- to 40-year-old male may be wanting to have kids. And topical testosterone or testosterone replacement will actually inhibit your gonadotrophins and decrease sperm production. So you need to be careful that the person, you know, you've done some workup to say, is it a pituitary issue? Is it a testy issue? And uh, if, you, if you're thinking this is secondary hypogonasm, meaning, again, up in the brain, the pituitary, um, looking for masses, you could do an MRI. In young individuals, it's recommended you do an MRI, you do a prolactin level. Um, if you see a mass, talk to a specialist, neurosurgeon, um, or endocrinologist, if you're not finding anything, you also need to look for factors like opiates, uh, tobacco, sleep apnea, different things that can affect the hypothalamic pituitary uh, gonadotropin production. And uh, But in those young individuals, I really intensely am going to be looking before I just throw my hands up and say, well, it's secondary hypogonadism. Your FSH and LH AH are normal or low. And it could be either of those results tells me that it's a pituitary suppressing issue. Um and uh, before I throw my hands up and just treat, um, the older male uh, in general, you know, you, you want to order that prolactin, think about the possibility of a pituitary mass, but we know that their age is their risk factor. And for so again, a, a younger individual, they don't have that age risk factor. I'm going to press. I want to see what's there. Plus, I'm worried about reducing their fertility. And that could be a permanent change. You see so these young guys like, oh, I'm going to get jacked. I'm going to go to the gym. Give me some testosterone. And it doesn't quite work that way. All that excess testosterone gets turned to estrogen, gets aromatized out, and uh, they can get large breasts and acne and oily skin and some side effects like that and not necessarily do much for themselves if they're
2: normal to begin with. So, so, just to reiterate, what you follow up on is libido and energy, is that correct?
3: Yes, yeah, I think I'm keying in on those. Other things that are less likely that, to be strongly correlated, but you might see some change, would be change to lean body mass, right. um, reduction of risk to proceed to diabetes, um, those sort of processes. Erections are really, you know, again, I mentioned earlier, five PDE inhibitors are good for that. Think about neurovascular issues. Um, for decreased erectile ability.
2: So when you say reduction of risk to develop di- diabetes, are, are you referring to following the A1C, or what exactly are you referring to?
3: Yeah, you could check their A1C. Uh, pre-diabetes diagnosed at 5.7 to 6.5. Diabetes at 6.5 or higher. Um, you know, Again, with this obesity epidemic, we're seeing a diabetes epidemic. And you know this is the flavor of patient that we're looking at, an obese, pre-diabetic man. So that's a good point to think about looking at that area of their health too.
0: And Jeff, we want to be respectful of your time, so I want to start uh, just, I have a couple more questions on testosterone, and then I want to ask you a little bit of the productivity questions, but w- we talked about these older men, how you treat them different, so this age-related hypogonadism, here in town we have lots of billboards advertising, you know, shirtless men, lots of muscles, testosterone replacement, so... We get a lot of those questions in our clinic in these older men. So how are you handling that? Are you treating any of these patients?
3: I I think, you know, again, I'm a middle-of-the-road sort of guy. Um, You know, I think it's a reasonable uh, therapy to offer somebody who you can measure in that low range who seems to fit the bill with symptoms and is interested to do a trial. And I say trial because I think a lot of times people get started on medications and it's just like, I'm on this forever. You know, I think for a guy who's measuring low, you know if they're older, if they are you know not presenting with new chest pain that I'm worried about, um sure, give them a trial, start some, see if they feel better if they say, you know I'm moving more, I'm out mowing the lawn now, I'm feeling active in bed. I think you've done something you know you're you're ha- if he feels that effect it's a benefit. And um, there's other things that you could measure. You know, those things are very subjective. You could look at their bone mass, and it's recommended to check that every two years if it's measured low to begin with. And so those are other
2: things that you could help that person with. And a- another thing that's been thrown around the table lately is is in regards to women. Now, there's been some talk about treating them with testosterone. I- I've not personally done that. Is this something that's actually being done right now?
3: So, you know, it's everyone wants an edge, right? We all want to be, you know... Fit or sexier you know that's what this is about it's i don't this, want to be any sexier i way <laughs> i'm good to gotcha um but the uh thanks that's it's that's, that's I know <laughs> that, you know that's the thing that's what's the mystique about this and so women want to partake in it too and you know men have estrogen and testosterone women have both those as well it's just the amounts and the receptors and other things but um you know it's currently there is a guideline on androgens in women. It's not recommended we even check uh, androgen levels, and there is not a FDA approved um, or guidelines sanctioned therapy to treat androgens to women. So who you know, whoever is undertaking that is very much off the reservation. Um, no, you're not talking about those who are undergoing like a sex change
2: operation that would be
3: different no yes. so women that want to so we yeah actually it's pretty easy you give a lot of testosterone and they would virilize and so right you know there are women that are taking small doses for this kind of edge if you will but yeah the side effects would be virilization clitoromegaly deepening of the voice things that women usually don't want
0: great great so That, uh, the last question I want to ask you is what, what three take-home points would you like for our listeners from this, from this talk about low testosterone? I think, um, three things.
3: Number one would be, uh, figure out the etiology of the hypogonadism. So you can, we mentioned some labs, so I'll just key in on those. Order that testosterone, make sure it's twice at least early morning, um, you can order their bioavailable. If that's normal, it's unlikely they're going to benefit from treatment there. And then I want you ordering a prolactin and the FSH and LH. If you notice that the prolactin is very high, you might have a mass in the pituitary. Or if the FSH and LH are normal or low, again, you're looking at the pituitary being the problem. So that's number one. Order the FSH and LH. Interpret that. Um, and for a young male, you really need to press to say, is there a mass up there? Um, my number two would takeaway would be uh, the treatments that you're going to apply are going to be mostly topical. There are injected testosterones. I in general would not recommend to start with those because you're not getting a diurnal pattern. Um, the levels of testosterone achieved are much higher, and it can be painful. it's intramuscular. Um, so I, I think start with a topical at 40 milligrams, and you need to check a CBC and a PSA annually. If the hematocrit rises above 54 or the PSA is above 4, you need to stop therapy and uh, evaluate those conditions. And I think my third takeaway point would be uh, there are a lot of modifiable factors for these individuals and to think about treatment trials. So if you have an obese male with low sex hormone binding globulin, uh, you might think about giving him a trial of therapy, see if he feels better, um, see if he can normalize his levels, um, and again, mot- motivate people by saying, this is g- your tool to get your edge in the gym, now go to the gym. And using these as tools, not just slapping on a therapy and saying goodbye. So I think that'd probably be the third one I'd
0: look at. Great, thank you. So uh, on to the productivity question. So you're you're a father, you're very busy at work. How are you finding time to stay so up to date on everything? Because I've had lots of conversations with you outside of testosterone, and you seem to be up to date on everything. So, w- when are you doing this, and how? I'm kind of lucky. I'm
3: in an yeah. I had another I'm kind of lucky. I had another. Uh, I, I'm in an, ac- an academic institution, so I am kind of forced to be in this mode. But um, you know, things. My my key time is the early morning. If I can get to work an hour earlier um, and just spend that hour, you know, consciously saying, I'm not going to work on patient notes, I'm not going to work on emails, this is an hour to write a paper, to read a paper, to whatever, Um, keep my door closed, that's my time. And so I'll consciously get to work whatever amount of time I need to finish a project, to finish, you know, reading something. And then, you know, I, I think... You know, this may seem like not direct advice to that uh, question, but you have to keep your batteries recharged. If you are burnt out by your job, you won't be interested in it. It's not fun anymore. So uh, doing things that are fun and, uh, you
0: know, the learning will come. Learn something every day. Any specific books or apps or websites that you can direct our listeners to? Yeah, so the Washington Manual uh,
3: Subspecialty Consult for Endocrinology, it is going to be the fastest way for you to get concise, excellent endocrine knowledge about every endocrine topic. Um, it, I can't tell you enough how concise that is for someone who's busy that you can get through it. It's, it the language in there is easy to digest, um, and it gives you everything, and it gives you a good framework highly recommend that. Um, it's going to be worth your time. And then the Endocrine Society publishes guidelines on basically everything we do. It's our cookbook for, you know, everything. Um, so
0: endocrine.org, you can check that out. Great. So we'll link to all this stuff in the show notes. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, it's been very informative and, uh, we definitely have to have you back again for another topic.
3: Thanks. I appreciate the invite and I look forward to the future. All
0: right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Curbsiders. You can find the show notes along with links to any websites, apps, books, or other resources mentioned in tonight's show at thecurbsiders.com or www.thecurbsiders.com. If you like what you're hearing, then please subscribe to us on iTunes and don't forget to leave us a review. This helps others discover the show. If you'd like to recommend a topic or guest for a future show, then you can hit us up on our website, thecurbsiders.com, and click on Contact Us. You can also follow us on Twitter, at The Curbsiders, or
1: check out our pages on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Google+.